is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. That was This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. Welcome back to 98.2 Bad Boys and Beyond. It's 1995 and we're blazing all your favorite jams to get you ready for your weekend plans. We got another big guest today, Mr. Bryce Simon from the Pistons Pulse. Bryce, what's the station that's blazing all your favorite jams? Mike, this is perfect, man. Like you knocked that out of the park. I, I could. This, this feels like a radio station, man. You knocked that out of the park. That was perfect. I'm over here, just you know, head bobbing, just chilling. Um, that was really good, man. That was great. That's thank you, thank you. And you just won tickets to the Salt and Pepper Show at the, at, at the Kobo this weekend. I love it. <laughs> All right, so my foolishness is done. As I said, we got uh, Bryce Simon from the Pistons Pulse and Motor City Hoops today. Bryce, you are the second tallest guest that we've ever had on this show, second only to Grant Hill. That is if your basketball reference page is correct. Yes, so what does my basketball page say? I, I'm sure mine is almost as extensive as what Grant Hill says. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I am. It's just as long. <laughs> I am six foot six, um, okay. depending on what that says. So Grant Hill is, uh, what, a couple inches taller and a billion times better basketball player than me, <laughs> yeah. even He's though a... I did partake in college basketball. Thank you, he... Ed O'Bannon. Shout out, Ed O'Bannon. Yeah, he's uh, six eight, and uh, yep. Yeah, so yeah, two inches taller than you, and you know, um, his basketball reference page is it's a little bit, a little bit more full, uh, but yes. that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we're we're super happy to have you, and I know that um, we've been talking about doing this for a long time. And and before we jump into everything, Bryce, you have been a very early supporter of our show, and uh, we totally just—I mean, words can't express it, man. I was very very happy that you were willing to just jump out there and share our stuff, and um, very grateful for that. I, I will say this, Mike. I've known Keith for most of the time. I've been a Pistons fan, which is just barely two years. He came on Motor City Hoops back when that was the podcast. He knocked it out of the park. I was setting that he stole my show from me when he came on, and I knew he needed his own. And I'm so glad that he found you. I don't know you as well, Mike, but you sound seem like a great dude. You do great stuff. And there's no question that I was going to support anything that you guys were doing. And so I'm so happy that you know you had Grant Hill. You've been doing all the stuff you guys have been doing. It, it's it's big time, and I love it for the both of you. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. So today we're going to be doing the 1995 uh, NBA redraft. Bryce, you chose this one. Is there uh, any significance to this? Yeah. So I, I mentioned Ed O'Bannon on the intro and I always like to shout this out is that Ed O'Bannon got me paid, but at the same time may have lost me a friend. So for those of you that don't know that grew up playing EA sports, those eventually went away oh, because of name image yeah. likeness. And then Ed O'Bannon sued, and all of us that played during those time frames were able to get money. And my best friend was like, yes, you should absolutely 
you know, you had to fill out a paperwork and get paid. I also will no longer be your friend because that was our childhood was playing those games. So I joke when I say I lost a friend, he's still my best friend, but I'm serious when Ed O'Bannon made me a couple thousand dollars with that lawsuit. Oh man, I didn't re- So American was on that game then? Yeah. So if you go back and play the 07, 08, 08, 09, um, college basketball game, I'm on there. Number 33 at American university, um, you know, my little cousins used to text me about playing it and all that stuff. So awesome. um, essentially, I got $1,000 a year. I was a Juco kid. So I only spent two years division one. So I think my teammates, you know, they all got four grand um, out of that lawsuit. Did you uh, did you go on there and bump your ratings all the way up? And I, I did not, but I'm sure they did because I wasn't very good. As you know from my basketball reference page, I actually think my career three-point percentage is better than my two-point percentage. So um, uh, you, had to, you had to turn injuries off. I thank you. Yes, that is true. I I my my career was quickly and abruptly derailed by ACL injuries. So oh, man. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool little story, little nugget that, that I was a part of all that. Well, thank you. Was that the game with Blake Griffin on the cover? Yes. So quick Blake Griffin story for Pistons fans. My opening game, my senior year, we went to Norman, Oklahoma to play Blake Griffin in his sophomore season, the year they went to the final four. And he literally, this is not an exaggeration, put three sports center top 10 dunks on us in that game. And I walked into the gym for that game. And that man was drenched in sweat three hours before the game doing his pregame workout. And I was never more intimidated by a player than I was of Blake Griffin. Um, I actually didn't play. I was still coming off my injury, but he was a physical specimen and obviously a great basketball player. Wow. That's uh yeah, I mean he he has something of a notorious pregame ritual and and yeah, he's out there for quite a while. Um, but yeah, wow, that's that, we appreciate the stories and and Ed O'Bannon, that's probably the last time he's gonna come up on this show today. Uh <laughs> the really great uh, college basketball player at UCLA and um yeah, led him to the national championship game and everything. But uh yeah, it's not uh there's just so many more players that are better than him. It, tr- truthfully, he probably could have had a successful NBA career, but he just he had knee issues, and that's what scared a lot of people away from him in the draft. He might have gone top five otherwise, but I, I, I think a lot of those proved true because his career only lasted a few years, and he he just couldn't play. Like it's not like he he didn't have the skills. He just he physically he couldn't run up and down the court like he did at UCLA. Right. Well, uh, let's just uh, jump right into the 95 draft. We'll start with Keith. Do you have oh. any uh, news and notes? Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, the 95 draft was notable for for two things, really. Uh, the first one, obviously, this was the uh, coming out party for the NBA in Canada. Uh, the draft was held in Toronto. Uh, the Raptors, everyone knew this was coming for two years. It was it was a very big buildup. Uh, they announced the Toronto NBA franchise in 93. In 94, Toronto hosted the Basketball World Championships. They had Dream Team 2 um, showcased in front of everybody. Uh, also a two-time MVP coming off the bench for Canada in that tournament, but we nobody knew about that at the time in Steve Nash. And, uh, yeah, there was that. Uh, so this was the debut season for both the Toronto Raptors and the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies as they were they were in Vancouver at the time. 
And the other, and I think this is actually a bigger, uh, a bigger note than the, than the previous one. Uh, this is the this this goes down as the Kevin Garnett draft. And what makes this notable uh, prior to this uh, 1995 draft, uh, players played in college. I mean. It, this sounds silly for me to say, but players played in college and then they went to the NBA, whether you stayed one year, two year, three years. It was usually at least two. Uh, but there, before, prior to 1995, there hadn't been a high school player selected in the draft uh, since 1976. That was Bill Willoughby. He almost became a cautionary tale uh, because he washed out of the NBA rather quickly. Uh the last first round pick uh, out of high school was Daryl Dawkins way back in 1975. So for a 20 year period, like there was no rule saying you couldn't uh, join the NBA straight out of high school. It just didn't happen. Like no, no one ever tested it until Kevin Garnett did in 1995. And I'm trying to set the stage for this because it was really weird at the time, if anyone remembers but there were so many think pieces about man is is Kevin Garnett ruining his life by by skipping col uh, by skipping college and going straight from high school to the NBA is you know he he's not going to pick up the life skills that you pick up in a university and you know all, all this other garbage that, that you, looking back on it it was really embarrassing because I mean Bryce knows this way more than I do uh, if you you go to high especially a high level Division one college as Garnett would have been. Uh, you know, your life is basketball. I, I, I'm i sure there's some social things that you pick up, but it's not like you're the average freshman, you know, looking for quarters underneath the couch to buy a pizza with your roommates. I, you, you're, It's almost like a, a, a job without actually having a job. So it, I don't know if Garnett would have picked up anything extra there. But, um, yeah, Garnett, Garnett really was the guy that opened the door for the guys like uh, Tracy McGrady and Kobe Bryant and Jermaine O'Neal. The floodgates just opened uh, because of Kevin Garnett uh, making this choice. And it was almost a choice by force because he he failed his uh, ap college aptitude test at the uh, AC ACT. The scores weren't high enough. I think he would have actually gone to college uh, had he had the options, but he never really did. But anyway... Uh, that was my long-winded uh, tribute to to Kevin Garnett, which I'm sure will continue this uh, as soon as Bryce gets the chance uh, to pick first. That's fascinating to me with KG and the academic part. So, I mean, essentially he would have had to take the JUCO route. And yep. as a former JUCO player, we play, I played against a lot of really, really high-level Division One basketball players. I played with some high-level, you know, that just – unfortunately didn't have the grades to go there straight out of high school but could you imagine kg playing junior college basketball because he went the call you know he that's yeah. what well he wouldn't have had to now because he probably would have ended up with the g league ignite or something like that yeah. but essentially if the current rules were in place kg wouldn't have been able to enter the draft and he would have ended up again probably with one of those but playing Ju juco basketball like are you kidding me that's insane yeah, and the thing, the funny thing is, uh, Kevin Garnett was already 19 by the time of the draft. Okay. He was an older high school player, uh, so he was. I don't want to say he was physically developed, but he was certainly a thousand times more skilled than the average high school player to begin with. And he had that extra year, like nine months of of physical development. So yeah, the, the idea of him and that Sean Kemp, by the way, that you're what you're describing was the the route that Sean Kemp took, even though he never actually played. You know, he applied. I mean, he joined a, a junior college, but he never actually played there. But that was the route that he would have taken. 
I want to say in 1989. Uh, but yeah, it was. Look, I, I know it's still a hot topic even today. Uh, does the NBA do away with a one-and-done rule? Uh, I, I really think it's better for the league for prospects to have, for, for young high school kids uh, to have that extra year of development for at least the, the so that the NBA can get a better look at what they are. Because there's so many, you see even today, these highly touted freshman uh, prospects out of high school, they go to college and they, they get exposed because they're not as good as, everyone thought they were because they're going up against high school kids. How do you really know? Uh, but I, at the same time, I, I do like the the middle ground that they have right now with the, the G league ignite. Uh, so the, these kids can actually get paid at least a little bit instead of being forced to, to go to school, which they, so it, it's okay if you don't want to do that. Right. So I, I know the NBA is probably going to go do away with the one and done probably by the end of the decade. Uh, but yeah, it, it's if they do that, yeah, man, I, I don't even know because everyone thinks about like the LeBron James and the Dwight Howards, the guys that are obvious, you know, future stars, you know, out of high school. But there's not that many of those guys. A lot of those guys need that extra development. And uh, I don't want to drag this on too long, but I do wonder, uh, especially with that four year rookie contract, are our NBA teams then enthusiastic about? you know, drafting a kid who's going to be entering in that second contract at the age of 22, right? So I, I think those are details that people don't think about that kind of need to get hammered out. Um, yeah, real quick before we before we jump in, real quick, real quick. Uh, this draft has always been interesting to me because it um, Kevin Garnett wasn't even the best player on that team. Ronnie Fields was the best player on that. Oh, team. his high school team, yeah. And and I wonder if Ronnie would have gone number one had he never gotten that car accident. Like he was incredible. He was amazing, absolutely amazing to watch. Um, but anyways, uh, we are going to go ahead and get this thing started. The first pick is uh, going to Bryce. The Golden State Warriors are on the board. Bryce, shock us. Or don't. I will not be shocking <laughs> anybody. Um, I would expect you guys to kick me off the episode if I did anything other than take the Hall of Famer, nine-time All-NBA, 12-time All-Defense, and four-time rebounding champion, Kevin Garnett, adding him to the Golden State Warriors instead of Joe Smith, adding him to Spreewell, Hardaway, Mullen, Danielle Marshall. Um, I don't know. You always think about what would have been, what could have been. I know in Pistons land, we talk about this a lot with a certain draft, but uh, Kevin Garnett is definitely the number one pick in the 1995 NBA redraft. Yeah, and really, in high, if this exact draft class were entered, entered the league today, I don't think there's any question Garnett would have been drafted first if he was allowed to be there. I, there's just the absolute array of skills that he showed in, in high school. It, was just, it just dwarfs um almost any high school prospect in history and how about the golden state warriors by the way um they they luck out they they're able to trade up and get chris weber you know a a, a dominant hall of fame uh big man and then he he gets decide gets dis, get disgruntled he decides he doesn't want to be there anymore gets gets into it with a coach and they have to trade him and then a year later they get the number one pick again and they get to replace Weber. <laughs> they get to upgrade from Chris Weber with Kevin Garnett. Uh, yeah, that that would have been a hell of a hell of a story if it had happened that way. 
All right, so the number two pick, uh, Mike is up uh, with with one of the most ridiculous draft trades in NBA history. <laughs> the, the Clippers originally had this pick. Uh, they traded down uh, on draft day to number 15, and all they all the Denver Nuggets had to give up was Rodney Rogers. And God bless Rodney Rogers, a uh, a second year in the league, cheap contract, uh, you know, double digit score. Uh, but I, that's basically all I can say about the guy. He, I mean, he was a career like his best role in it was a six man. And the the the, the LA Clippers were willing to drop from two to fifteen just for Rodney Rogers. I. I have my theories on why, especially with the no rookie scale contracts that the Clippers might have been uh, apprehensive about, you know, possible uh, uh, one of these top five guys holding out for for more money or whatever. But there's no way there's no way you can excuse this. This is just dumb. So uh, Mike, Mike, take it away. All right. Well, uh, two years ago, we, the Denver Nuggets, pulled off the possibly the greatest playoff upset in NBA history. When we, uh, as the eighth seed, knocked out the first seed, Seattle Supersonics. And then last year, that did not happen. We went to the eighth seed. We got it swept by the Spurs. And 96, the Nuggets would actually miss the playoffs and this team would fall apart. The pick I'm about to make is going to send this team possibly to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, I am going to pair up Mr. Jerry Stackhouse with uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf in the back. Uh, I'm going to send Jalen Rose at the small forward. And uh, Dikembe Mutombo is here, and um, you know we're gonna we're gonna try to find a power forward somewhere else. Tom Hammonds isn't too bad, but Jerry Stackhouse is gonna bring that much much needed scoring to this Denver team, and it's gonna be a really really fast and interesting uh, team. I I would love to see it. We're going to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, interesting for for Jerry to go number two in this uh, in this redraft. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what, talent wise. I mean, he's right up there with everybody else. Uh, I, uh, classic Detroit Piston. I always compared him to, to to like a power running back playing basketball. Uh, very athletic, but he was the kind of athletic uh, two guard that would go through you as opposed to around you or over you. Uh, guy was a free throw magnet. Loved playing to contact. Uh, not the best outside shooter. Was was capable of going, you know, eight for ten one game, and then one for eighteen the next game. Can, can I give a quick nugget on that, Keith? Yeah, go for it. No so, pun intended. A friend of mine, someone I actually coached with, played against Jerry Stackhouse in the NCAA tournament that year, and he told me their scouting report was to give Jerry Stackhouse the outside shot to close out short, back off of him. And he said Stackhouse proceeded to knock down jump shot after jump shot after jump shot <laughs> that night. Yeah, yeah. The uh, look, they were playing the percentages, right? Jerry Stackhouse was never a high percentage uh, jump shooter until maybe his very end of his his twilight when he was in Dallas. I think he improved as a shooter, but yeah, there were there were some nights where man, there was just no stopping him. Um, mo- mo- most notable, because uh, I know people are going to bring this up if I don't. Uh, still the Detroit Pistons all-time single game score with 57 uh, against Ron Artest and the Chicago Bulls. And his jumper was wet that night. My goodness. I mean, he was channeling Ray Allen uh, that, that whole night. It was, it was crazy. Uh, r- r- the, the 
first and well maybe well it wasn't the first but it was definitely the last great moment in the the uh, teal era okay so up next is myself uh the philadelphia 76ers are picking third and without jerry stackhouse on the board uh this <laughs> i don't want to say this is an easy decision because there were two really really close um candidates here but being that I am the Sixers, I am going to draft the Philadelphia boy, uh, Mr. Rasheed Wallace uh, from North Carolina by way of uh, Philadelphia. And, man, how how interesting is this going to be? Because flashing back, the Sixers originally took Jerry Stackhouse, not realizing that, that they were going to land the number one pick the next year and get Allen Iverson. And Stackhouse and Allen Iverson were just an awful, like, oil and water. They just, they couldn't mix. They both wanted to shoot the ball every time uh, down the court. It just didn't work out. But you you stick Allen Iverson with Rasheed, with a young Rasheed Wallace, uh, that may be the best player that Allen Iverson ever plays with uh, from a skills perspective. And, and the best part about it is Rasheed never really cared about dominating offensively. So he would have been happy playing with Allen Iverson. But he was he was a great player, great two way scorer. Um, I can I can only imagine the pick and roll threes with Iverson and Rasheed Wallace. Uh, that that would have been a fun team. All right, so back around we go. The Washington Bullets are picking fourth. Uh, Bryce, you are up next. So I hope I'm getting this one right because you said it was down to two obvious selections yeah. and I had one more player in this tier. I I, I put my players in tiers. Um, KG was obviously a tier by himself and then she'd stack and this next player I was really hoping that Stackhouse was going to fall here because I thought he would be a much better fit with this roster that already has Chris Weber and Jawan Howard and yeah and stack I thought would have fit in well they originally this was the Rasheed Wallace pick and I thought that one was interesting but I still am going to go with the power forward and I'm going to go with Antonio McDice yep. with this selection because my personal draft philosophy, excuse me, my personal draft philosophy, especially as a team that's picking number four, is you go best player available and you don't break into a different tier otherwise. And so even though the lineup may be a little wonky, McDice is the best player on the board is going to have some really good seasons early in his career. So Antonio McDice is the pick. Yeah. And like you said, originally the, the bullets had the same dilemma where they had, Oh, they already had Juwan Howard and they already had uh, Chris Weber. And you like, those are already two power forwards, <laughs> you know, guys that play the same exact position. And then they, they went ahead and they drafted Rasheed Wallace anyway, and they didn't really play him because they didn't have time, but what they, did were able to do was draft was swap him for one of the league's best pure point guards in Rod Strickland. So it still kind of worked out, even though Rashid, you know, clearly a better player than overall than Rod Strickland. But yeah, it's the, the bullets are just in a weird spot and they were just kind of snake bit by not being able to find that wing that could that could make everything else fit. And even in this redraft, it kind of went the same way. There was a wing available uh that I'm that is going to get picked if not by Mike, by myself. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Uh, McDice is in a tier uh, by himself above all of the remaining picks. So I can't argue with your logic here, Bryce. Perfect. 
Well, that wing is not going to be picked by me. So <laughs> enjoy it, Keith. You're going to get it here for the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies next. Um, I am going to uh, I'm going to select the rookie of the year. I'm going to take da- uh, Damon Stoudemire for the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's uh, it's going to prevent them from getting Stefan Marbury next year. But <laughs> at the same time, like I, I think, look, I, I, I thought Marbury was good, but I think those these players are are probably on equal footing. And and I would I would maybe even almost say Stoudemire was better because he at least was like uh, um, uh, he 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 didn't go crazy like I wouldn't say that Marbury went crazy yeah. but like yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying like he uh, he's steady Damon's much more steady um, I know he did play for the Jail Blazers and there was some stuff going on there but um, who you know everybody smokes a little pot sometimes even Damon Stoudemire. It's, it's Portland for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yes, David Stoudemire uh, and, and him and, and Tom Gugliotta and, uh, and J.R. Ryder is it's uh, it's going to be a nice little mix. You know, this team still needs a lot more work, but at least they now have somebody to run that offense. Yeah. I think there's something interesting that you said uh, earlier about this pick uh, really encouraging Minnesota to not, not draft uh, Stefan Marbury. Uh in the 96 draft do you interesting in the 96 draft uh there's actually they actually don't pick marbury to begin with they pick somebody else and then swap him for marbury on draft day you remember who that is ray allen ray allen so can you imagine uh putting this into motion yeah you you take damon stoudemire who's a good but not franchise changing point guard but you're putting into motion something where minnesota might get Ray Allen and and actually keep him next season. I mean, how how interesting would that be? I mean, Damon Stoudemire and Ray Allen. You, you still need a big man. Uh, Tom Gugliotta is good, but he's not good enough. Uh, but yeah, I actually really really like this pick for you, even though uh, Stoudemire wasn't the best player on my board. Uh, but it, it's a good fit. So I, I, I will he's take also the best not player the best on player on my board left either. <laughs> I, I will I will, however, take the best player on my board. Uh, with the number six pick, which belongs to the Vancouver Grizzlies, making their very first NBA selection. And I am going to uh, start them off on the right foot for once. Uh, I'm going to select Michael Finley out of Wisconsin. Uh, Michael Finley, I think he was the oldest player in this draft, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. He was like 22 or 23, like super old, like like geriatric in 2022 terms so like people would be oh my god what would you want him he's he's 22 23 years old a senior you know like like we did with the kings all summer uh but you know by far i think he is the best um pure score uh pure scoring wing in this draft with all respect to jerry stackhouse who, who was probably as equal as a player and as a, a a better passer but just in terms of putting the ball in the basket, Finley was uh, was amazing for people that don't remember. Uh, uh, super, super athlete, uh, three-level scorer. There's really, there's really nothing more you could want out of a prospect. And people forget, because uh, they think the Dallas Mavericks, uh, their, their great era as a franchise started with uh, Dirk Nowitzki and Steve Nash. It didn't. It started when they traded uh, Jason Kidd for Michael Finley, and everyone ripped him for it. And it turned out that Michael Finley was the first player on that group to make the all-star team. Like he was their veteran leader before Dirk got his feet under him. 
And there's really nothing to note about this this roster. It, it doesn't exist quite yet. They just had the expansion draft. So I, I, I think as a foundational piece, I think if you put Michael Finley on the Vancouver Grizzlies instead of the, the loaded Phoenix Suns team that he dropped to, I think Michael Finley might actually win Rookie of the Year. All right. That's interesting. So, That's interesting. Yep. All right. So uh, we are going back around again. Also making their first ever selection are the Toronto Raptors. Uh, picking on behalf of the Toronto Raptors will be Bryce. Jurassic Park nervous. is waiting. I'm a little nervous that I'm about to make like an absolutely awful selection for the first pick in franchise history because I was going to stay with Stoudemire. Or, you know, I thought maybe there yeah. was a chance he would fall. Finley was the backup one. And now I have three guys in this tier and I don't want to take one up. Like I want to make a little bit of a splash. Like I want to name, like it's starting the franchise. And so I can't wait for Keith to crush me for this, but I think I'm going to take Joe Smith here with the first pick in Toronto Raptors history. And he had a good start early in his career. I, I know there's a couple other notable names still, but I'm interested to see Keith. Am, am I making the right decision here? Because I'm questioning myself. Well, I'll tell you what my my next uh, tier is like. All right, so the, I had a I had a verified top six here, and after that, I have you know the role player group, and and pretty much everybody that's left qualifies as a role player, even as a high level role player. So. Joe, Joe Smith, it's weird because he was one of the youngest players in this draft. I think he only played in one year at Maryland. I think he was a one and done. Uh, pretty athletic. Uh, not uh, he wasn't he didn't have the highest upside, right? I mean, if I'm going to be blunt, he didn't have a well-rounded skill set. He was a very good at what he did. He was a pretty athletic finisher under the hoop. A uh, very good pick and pop guy. A decent defender. But he he didn't have the the ball skills. He did he wasn't a great playmaker. Uh, he wasn't uh, overpowering uh, from a size perspective. I mean, he was what he was. So even though he came in and played well, I, I think the problem was that he never really got much better uh, than he was in his first couple of seasons in Golden State. So I I think that kind of colors uh, the perception on Joe Smith. But he was a good player for a very long time. Like I. He's, he kind of gets cursed because he's the number one pick in this draft. And in hindsight, he obviously shouldn't have been. But if, if he goes, you know, seven, eight, nine in this draft, I think people look at him as as a success story, right? as opposed to a, a guy that was drafted way above his his talent level. So actually, I don't hate this pick. I, I, I may have picked somebody else, uh, but he would have been someone I had strongly considered. So, so that's what I want to ask. And you may not want to give the name because we'll talk about him later, but do you have somebody pinpointed that would have been a better splash pick or a more upside pick for a startup franchise? Bob, sir. Uh, yeah, I, I have, I have one player uh, that I think is, well, I, I think there's a couple that are higher ups because I don't think Joe Smith had much upside, but as far as uh, a, a plug and play guy, that's, that's, you could draft him and he's ready to go. I, I think he would be near the top of my list. But as far as I, yes, I have one guy that's a higher upside guy, one guy that's a more of a splash uh, splash player that we'll get to him. And I do have one player 
in addition to that, that I think is a more of a plug and play player than Joe Smith, but only one. Okay. So I like, I, I, I can't, I like, I'm not going to rip you for this pick. I, I can't like objectively it's defensible. It's not the pick I would have made, but it's defensible Bryce. I'll take it. All right. So at, at number eight and this pick originally belonged to the Detroit Pistons, it traded, it, it, it does. Yeah. It traded hands twice uh, in this draft. First to Portland and now uh, Milwaukee is where it wound up. So we are going to stick there. Uh, drafting on the behalf of the Milwaukee Bucks at number eight uh, is Mike Payton. All right. I uh, I was expecting Joe Smith to go a little bit later. And it kind of, it, it almost, it put me in a position where I had a player uh, selected and now that player is available. Another player is available. So I had to go back and forth on, on what I wanted to do. Um, but I think the best thing to do is, is you got to go PPA here and I'm going to take Cordless Williamson because he's, I think the best player left on this, on this board. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start him at power forward him and, and, uh, and big dog are going to, are going to run that uh, front court together. Um, and well, and then I'm going to, I'm going to move Finn Baker over to center where he probably should be, if you ask me. And, uh, and yeah, and then Sean Resper is still going to come here and, um, and, and, and much later in the draft, but, and, and then he will realize his, uh, his, his true potential and be the, the great player we all thought he would be. That, that's quite the front line you assembled there, Mike, with yeah. Big Dog, Williamson. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's a little scary, I think. Uh, are, are we changing the rules to allow two basketballs in this, <laughs> this Milwaukee team? Yeah. With, with, with Glenn Robinson and Corliss Williamson and Vin Baker, all, all guys that want to shoot first, second, and third. Hey, well, this is Big Dog's team. That's what everybody needs to know. It's Big Dog's team. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think this is a pretty, pretty strong, pretty strong offensive team. Defensively, there's some holes here, but, but I, I, I like it. So yeah, Corliss. Oh, by the by the way, Bryce Corliss was the one plug and play player that I had rated above Joe Smith. Uh, we, we, I'm not going to go into Corliss too long too long because we just did a whole episode on him last week. Uh, but yeah, uh, big nasty, uh, the the most decorated uh, college player on this on this entire board. Basically, did everything Chris Weber did and one. Plus, he actually won one of his championship games. And while Chris Weber was the undisputed number one player in his draft, Corliss drops to uh, number 13 in real life and number eight in our redraft, uh, simply because the NBA wasn't quite sure uh, if he would be a small forward power forward. They just didn't know what to make of him uh, at the pro level. But yeah, I, I think super underrated. Uh, one of the best six men uh, that I can remember in my lifetime just he he's he's right up there uh with some of the best uh just instant offense guys off the bench um in NBA history. And I, I, I think he might have been appreciated more uh, had he not gone to an era where the pace of the game was slowing down and everybody's scoring numbers were down a little bit. If you if you looked at what he did on a on a per possession basis though, man, it's really impressive. Um all right, so uh picking next will be the New Jersey Nets at number nine. And that pick falls to me. And I am going to pick the, the guy that has had the highest upside for three picks now, in my opinion. Uh, out of Wyoming, Theo Ratliff. 
Uh, also a, a four-year college player, uh, much like Michael Finley. Uh, future all-star, uh, Theo Ratliff. It, it took actually, it took him a while to get going. Uh, he, he originally goes to the Pistons. Uh, he, he plays there, but he's more of a role player. He, he doesn't quite get the physicality of the NBA for at least a couple of seasons. And Doug Collins, I think, kind of wore him down, uh, kind of an overbearing coach. And Theo, I don't think, had the personality to handle that. But they they swap him for Jerry Stackhouse uh, in, a, in a few years. And he he goes to Philadelphia. Theo plays under Larry Brown, and he, he flourishes immediately, develops into an all-star in short form. And if he doesn't get hurt in 2001, which encourages the Sixers to swap him for Matumbo midseason, I think it's Theo Ratliff is the guy that's making that uh, run with the Sixers to the finals in 2001. I think you're seeing Theo Ratliff go against Shaq in the finals. Not that that would have worked out any any better than Tumbo. Uh, but, yeah, I, I Theo Ratliff, one hell of a shot blocker, very good mid-range scorer, even had a little bit of a post-game, nice baby hook. Uh, didn't play well outside of the paint, but that was his domain. Uh, very, very fun player. Uh, and I, I think getting him at nine is a huge value for the Nets, who are, are are in the middle of a rebuilding phase. All right, so uh, back around we go once more for the fourth time. Uh, the Miami Heat uh, picking at number 10. Uh, Bryce, you're up. So I just want to say through nine picks, that is the top nine on my big board. So I'm feeling pretty good about the big board I put together and actually players went in the tiers I had them. I will also say that this is where it got really tough for me in terms of how to rank players. And so if there was truly a time to come for me to, uh, make a, a bonehead selection it's coming now but I think I'm going to be good here I have the Miami Heat um Glenn Rice Steve Smith are both going to be gone Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway in and I'm going to put Brent Berry a career 40 percent three-point shooter next to them Yeah, there there was only one one right pick here. I I I, I am very forgiving to all of our guests for it, but there I, I looked at Miami and I looked at the remaining player on my players on my board. By the way, I had Brent Berry. I, I almost was out of players in my my third tier, but Brent Berry was in there too. He was at the he was at the bottom of it. But Perfect. yeah, Brent Berry. If you look at the, that Miami Heat team, they were loaded with with defense. They had a Hall of Fame point guard, Tim Hardaway. Uh, the one thing that they really lacked, even though they had Rashawn Leonard and, and a way past his expiration date, Dan Marley, um, they, they really lacked outside shooting. That was always their downfall in the playoffs. They, they didn't have enough floor spacing for Alonzo Mourning. And Brent Berry, by the way, this was my my exciting pick. This is the guy I might have picked for for, the, for Vancouver uh, way back at, at number six. Uh, not only a great three-point shooter, but he was a slam dunk champion. Without even taking his warm ups off, like he he just walked in and coolly won the thing and then walked off. I, uh, yeah, son of one one of the many sons of uh, uh, Rick Barry that played in the NBA, uh, had a great career, won champ won a championship. I think he may have won may have won two. I don't remember in San Antonio, uh, 
I, I absolutely love Brent Barry, even though he couldn't play a lick of defense. He was a really fun player. Uh, he, he, he and John Barry had that in common. All right. So uh, at the number 11 pick uh, is the Portland Trailblazers, who have swapped this pick in the trade with uh, Milwaukee at number eight. Uh, Mike, you are up. All right. Um, I initially thought about just sticking with uh, Gary Trent here, but um, I'm going to go ahead and, and go a different route. And uh, I'm going to select a man who would eventually be the league's most improved player in 1998. I'm going to take Alan Henderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think that he fits in nicely with, uh, with our Vita Sabonis. I mean, this team like needs a lot of help. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're ways away from when they're going to be really um, contending uh, at least a few years. But I think a guy like Alan Henderson, by the time he really starts to get good, um, which unfortunately didn't last as long as I think he was hoping it would. But but by the time he really starts to get good, he does have like a nice little four or five year run. Um, I, I think that this team will be ready to go and loaded with, you know, uh, you know, Sheet will be here and and um, and and Stoudemire and all those guys. So I. I, I like this pick, Alan Henderson, uh, to the Blazers. Yeah, Alan Henderson, to me, and I he was the very last name I added to my big board when I did a second look just to see if anyone uh, I, I had overlooked might be available at, at 15. Uh, yeah, Alan Henderson, if you look at his career, it's kind of weird because he's successful, really successful right away. I mean, he's a double-digit scorer uh, very early on in his career, I think with the Hawks, but... I, I think he was one of the very first victims of the, the NBA transitioning to more of a stretch big uh, philosophy in the 2000s because he was like he did what he he did what he does very well. Um, very good mid range uh, pick and pop shooter, uh, good low post player against mismatches, but he wasn't really big enough to, to be a force just as a base uh, as a post up player. And he wasn't his range extended to 15 and that was kind of it. And he wasn't that that great a defender, so you know the the pick and pop mid range specialist I think kind of died out in the in the nineties and in the two thousands teams were looking more for that three point shooter for their role playing uh, stretch big. So I I kind of think that's what happened to Allen Henderson in his career. I know there were some injury problems, but I think from a skills perspective, he was one of the first bigs to kind of get phased out by his lack of range. Um, all right, so. That would make uh, the number 12 selection. The Dallas Mavericks are up next, and that falls to me. Uh, The Dallas Mavericks, still in the middle of what I call, and I'm going to say this every week until the 90s are over, the the very worst NBA uh, franchise in any decade ever. Uh, (laughs) Despite having talent, they're just absolutely abysmal. And they have Jason Kidd, I know, uh, but... They are not going to have him uh, for a whole lot longer. They're going to swap him, as I said before, to uh, Phoenix or Michael Finley. So looking ahead to that, there's really no one left on the board that's going to change my franchise, turn my fortunes around. I I know I'm going to get Steve Nash uh, on this team eventually. So maybe I don't want to go heavy on on the point guards. I, I I know that Dallas team never really had a center. And oof, God, my center options suck too. Um, 
I there there is one very talented center, but he's not going to last uh, to the to, until I'm ready to make the playoffs. You know what? I, I'm going to go in the middle here. I'm going to go with a power forward center, like a four five type that that could a two way player that can play some offense. Uh, good defender, good anchor in the middle. I'm going to go Kurt Thomas. Uh, Kurt so, Thomas. So mad right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking back on it, he's really like the clear pick for me. Uh, Kurt Thomas, good two-way player. Uh, Pat Riley loved the guy. Uh, played with the Heat for a minute. He had a very good rebounder, uh, pretty good interior score. Uh, kind kind of like a Joe Smith light where he he did the things that he does, but he didn't really have the high upside. Uh, but he was tough as nails, and he had a, he carved out a really good career for himself in the league. He could play the five in a small ball situation, which for Dallas coach Don Nelson, he loves those types of players. So I, I think he could really be impactful uh, once the decade turns and Dallas is ready to compete again. All right, so we go back around one last time. Uh, Bryce, you are the Sacramento Kings picking at 13. You have one selection left. Make it count. So far, so good for me. So I'm going to make a selection here. This is an ode to my mom who, you know, recently they did the name an NBA player. See how much your wife, how many NBA players your wife can name. So I did this with my wife, but I did this with my mom. And the second name she says is, is big country still in the NBA? (laughs) (laughs) I said, mom, no, he is not. Not for the past 20 years, but out of respect to my mother, I'm going to select big country Bryant Reeves to the Sacramento Kings. And this is one of the first players I kind of remember growing up. I would would have been pretty young when he was playing. I grew up a KU fan. So him and Greg Ostertag. Oh, yeah. He's an Oklahoma State kid. Yeah, Oklahoma State. So they had a lot of battles. And again, a close friend of mine fellow coach I talked to him about big country today in anticipation for this he said when he shook his hand when he took his official visit to Oklahoma State big country was there he met him he said he had the biggest hands he's of anybody's ever met he said he felt like it just engulfed his entire lower arm he also said that big country was walking out of the coach's office and had a dip in and you could see the dip all up in his teeth and everything. So he always thought that was funny that big country had just walked out of coach's office and had obviously had a dip in and, you know, nothing was said. So with this pick, I will select big country, Bryant Reeves, who for three seasons averaged 15 and eight. So it's not like he was a bad player for a few years. He was such a talented player. People just look at Bryant Reeves today and they just see the big Ophi Ophi guy, uh, seven foot one, you know, close to 300 pounds. They just think he was there because he was big. No, he was skilled. I And, and Shaq loves to talk glowingly about Bryant Reeves because he could not guard Bryant Reeves worth a damn. Because Bryant Reeves, despite being a humongous human being, was a excellent pick and pop big man for mid range. And that's the one thing that Shaq could never do in his whole career was guard the pick and roll. And Bryant Reeves just ate him alive so often. And he was one of the few guys in the league that was big enough where Shaq just couldn't move him around, uh, you know, like a little coffee cup. Uh, but, yeah, 
I, I think if Brian Reeves doesn't have injury problems, um, he goes so much higher in this draft because he, talent-wise, his third season in the league, he was averaging 16 points, uh, eight rebounds, shooting well over 50% from the field, two assists a game from the center position. I, he was he was very skilled for his size. I, I, I'm so upset at you right now because I had him eyeing. I was eyeing him uh, at, at the clip for the uh, LA Clippers at number 15. Ugh. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This is a good, and you know what? Like I was looking at like, where would Bryant Reeves fit in? It would, it would he would fit in uh, with teams that were looking to make the playoffs in the next, you know, three seasons. Cause that's all you're going to get out of them. Right. And the Sacramento Kings do actually make the playoffs this season. So this is actually not that bad of a, uh, this, this is a really good spot for him. All right. So uh, the number 14 pick, the Boston Celtics, uh, they are well, well, they're crap right now. They're yeah, they're about definitely. to enter in a rebuild, and and then they're going to hire Rick Pitino, and it's actually going to get worse from here. But uh, oh. yeah, good 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 luck, uh, Mike. You are up. Yeah, I uh, I I'm a big um, as you and I have talked about in the past. I'm a big Bill Simmons fan, and there is not an episode that goes by where well, okay, there's episodes that go by, but. He he will talk about Rick Pitino at least once a month and how much he hates him and how much he totally screwed this Celtics team up. Um, anyhow, uh, and speaking of Shaq, real quick, I don't know if you're watching this Shaq uh, show on HBO Max, but it is it is awesome. And in the last episode, he talked about uh, slapping slapping the soul out of Greg Ostertag, um who will not be uh, drafted today, I, at least not by me, but I, I just thought uh, I was, I just saw his name and you brought up Shaq and it just two and two together. But anyhow, the Boston Celtics are crap. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just pick the best player available. And I think that's Gary Trent. Uh, yeah. you know, th- this team is uh, like Dino Rajas here, but I think he only plays one more year. And then after that, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's wide open. Yeah, Gary Trent, the Shack of the Mac. I, I remember that nickname to this day. Wait a minute. I wonder, um, does this does this draft pick affect not one life but two? Because uh Gary Trent Sr. gets drafted by the Trailblazers, and then Gary Trent oh, yeah. Jr. gets drafted by the Trailblazers. Does this mean that Gary Trent Jr. now gets drafted by the Boston Celtics? I don't, I don't know if there's a correlation there, but there's a big correlation. Sure. It's huge. <laughs> so, well, I, I don't know if they actually drafted his son because you know his his father played there, but yeah. that would have been yeah, that would have been interesting. I, I don't well, look, maybe that actually played into it, and I don't and I don't uh, know Wait, about it. Oh my God, hold on! I, I okay. just this is a pop out moment here. Do you know what the second team that Gary Trent Senior played for? It was Milwaukee, right? No, or the no. Toronto Raptors. Where oh, does Gary right, Trent Jr. play right now? The Toronto, Toronto Raptors. Raptors. Okay, well, I, that one I have to give to you. It's it's cohesive. <laughs> too, too much going on to be a coincidence. Yeah. All right, so bringing up the rear will be myself, uh, picking number 15, uh, the LA Clippers, who have screwed themselves over by passing on and t- – uh, Antonio McDice and Rasheed Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse. 
for the for the likes of and I hate to say this because Ronnie Rogers was a good NBA player, but why? So they've already screwed themselves. So I couldn't possibly screw them up anymore. Uh, so uh, looking at this uh, Clippers roster, I, I know I've got Rodney Rogers. Uh, there's Malik Seeley, uh, the the Polish rifle himself, Nebraska's Eric Piatkowski. Somehow this roster actually. Oh, Bison Daly, I forgot he was here for a minute. Uh, somehow this roster makes the playoffs in in, in another season. God, and, and I don't even know what they could even use because they're just going to get blasted uh, out of the playoffs by the Jazz anyway. Um, you know, I'm, I, I absolutely hate this player, but I, I think I have to pick him because I think he's the best fit. Uh, for the, With the 15th pick, uh, the LA Clippers select out of Michigan State, Eric Snow. Uh, very good, solid point guard. Uh, the, the one part of that fire and ice combo with, with Sean Resford and the single dirtiest uh, point guard I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it, all right, first, let's get the good parts out of the way. A very heady point guard develops a reliable mid-range game after not even being able to, to hit a free throw at Michigan State. He was god-awful. Like, he was like a 40% free throw shooter <laughs> as a senior at Michigan State. I mean, he was bad. He could not shoot. Uh, but he had great size, great athleticism uh, for his position in the NBA. He does teach himself a, a, a mid-range game after a while. And it, it, he's known for being a, a notoriously good defender. Uh, also, I mean, part of the reason for that is that he would constantly stick his foot under jump shooters uh, to disrupt their rhythm as they're landing. Uh, famously, well, infamously, uh, he takes Chauncey Billups out of, a, out of the playoffs in 2003 doing that. So I like to call uh, the uh, the landing space rule that the NBA has now, where you can't, you have to give a shooter time to land. I always call that the Eric Snow rule, because he and Bruce Bowen were were the two biggest defenders uh, in my time growing up doing that. That they were the guys that would really make make the shooter feel like like they would think about their landing space as opposed to making the shot a lot of the time. But I'll tell you what, Eric Snow, very heady player, very smart player, excellent defender. Uh, I, I think on a different team, he is a plug-and-play player, even though he can't really shoot at this point. Uh, for the Clippers especially, I know they're going to play the Jazz in the playoffs in a couple of years. To have him guarding John Stockton would be uh, a big plus for them. So even though I don't think he's a very high upside guy at all, I really do like uh, this selection here. Okay, so can I ask a couple I have most of who I had. I had everybody ranked in my top 17 of okay. selections. My highest ranked player was 13th, Travis Best. Was I way off having him even in this discussion? I don't think uh, so. No, no, I had him on my board at 17. What about but, Eric but, Williams? I have Eric Williams at 16. I, I do have Eric Williams at 16. Okay. So I, I feel pretty good about how I ranked my – and then I had Bob Sura after all of these guys. I actually had Bob Sura at 14, believe it or not. Uh, I, I really liked his athletic upside, even though he really didn't have a – like he he was a, a point guard size player, but didn't really have the, the point guard mentality. Uh, uh, like he was a crowd-pleasing athlete for a while, but I, I had him at 14. But look, once you get into this bottom tier – 
I, I wasn't even really ranking. I was kind of like I numbered them just to keep track of how many players I had. But once you get to the bottom tier, you're just you're just writing names down, to be honest. <laughs> like like after I got past, I think, the 10th pick, it was mostly just writing down names. I think Kurt Thomas was clearly the best uh, upside player of all the rest of the guys. But after that, it was it was kind of just a mismatch. Uh hey. I think it's important to note that Pistons assistant coach Jerome Allen was selected in this draft number 49 overall as well. He was, and I had totally forgotten about that. Thank you. Uh, I One other name I had in my uh, tier, even though he's kind of become a punchline, is Greg Ostertag. Uh, because, look, even though he, ultimately he didn't have a whole lot of skill, he was big as hell. Uh, he was a pretty good uh, defender. Uh I mean, he he really starts as a rookie. Uh, well, he plays a lot as a rookie for the Jazz. I mean, his first three years with the Jazz, the Jazz go to the conference finals, and then they go to two NBA finals. And that's with him playing a, a huge role in their rotation. So if, if nothing else, I think that speaks to the value of Greg Ostertag, even though his numbers don't jump out at you. I, I think I thought he deserved his spot, on, even though I didn't think any of us would actually pick him. Well, uh that's going to conclude the 1995 NBA draft. Although we do have one more pick to make as we, uh, as we usually do, we, we move the Pistons up a few uh, spaces and then oh, yeah. go Whenever and make the a selection. Don't have a pick, yeah. And I, I, I have a guy. Um, it's a sentimental pick. <laughs> I'm going to go with Mr. Sean Respert uh, because I, you know, I'm a state guy and Sean to me was like, I thought he was going to be, Huge. Um, you know, obviously there's some, there's some cancer stuff that he didn't yeah, tell anybody about and, um, and he wound up losing a whole bunch of weight and there was an issue with that, but, but I still, I think if uh, Sean stays home, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe things work out a little bit better. I mean, that can't, doesn't prevent cancer from happening, but yeah. maybe, um, maybe things work out better. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm glad you kind of brought this up because I was, even though I was a, I grew up a Michigan fan, a big Michigan fan, and I really hated that that Michigan State team because they kind of lit lit up the remainder of the the Fab Five. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say that they won both games. I can't remember if they did or not. But um, yeah, I, I going into the draft when I saw the Pistons were picking Respert at eight, uh, and and then subsequently subsequently I was told that they were trading him. I was so pissed because I I, I thought Respert was the guy. Like I, I I really liked him at Michigan State as an NBA prospect. And it is, you're right. It's kind of sad because I thought he was, his game was tailor-made for the, for the league, uh, pure two guard, good size, uh, could shoot on, could score on all three levels. Uh, but yeah, you're right. He, uh, developed skin cancer and he, he kind of swept it under the rug and it, it wound up getting worse. And it, look, he's still with us today. Uh, but the, the issues that he had kind of derailed his entire career and it's kind of a, it's kind of a sad story, if not a tragic story. All right. So, um, yeah, who, who I would pick at uh, number 16 for theoretically for the Pistons, uh, since Theo Ratliff is no longer on the board. Whew. Uh, you know what? I'm going to pick uh, Travis Best. Uh, my reasons being is that the, the Pistons really don't have – uh, a point guard at this time. They have Lindsey Hunter. They have Joe Dumars. They but they're loaded with with two guards. And even though Travis Best isn't necessarily a pure point guard himself, he could handle the position. Uh, very valuable backup for Indiana for a number of years. 
And even though he wouldn't start on this Pistons team, I think he would bring a lot of stability off the bench, which I think they lacked uh, during this period. And he's going to go be in a movie next year. He's, oh, I didn't be, know that. He, he's in He Got Game. He's the oh, point guard on Ray Allen's team. Next year as a 96. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I thought he was talking uh, in 2023. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, what? No. Uh, you have any thoughts on this real quick, Bryce, or we, we can yeah, move on? I mean, I, I would have gone the same way. Like I said, he was the best player left on my board. Um, so for all the similar – for similar re- reasons as you, I would go Travis Best as well. Like I say, the other two guys would have been Eric Williams and Bob Sura. Yeah, yeah. Er, er, the, the Pistons are kind of loaded at forward now with with Grant Hill and Otis Thorpe and, and Terry Mills. So I, I – I, can't really consider Eric Williams and then Bob Sura, which I, I keep saying very talented player. Uh, fans loved him. Just didn't really, never really had a, had a spot in the NBA where he could be successful because he didn't really have this size to play the two or the skills to play the one. All right. All right. So- well, uh, well, we got a couple minutes left with you, Bryce. Um, I would love to get your, your thoughts on, uh, on the current Pistons uh, coming off a big win against the Miami heat last night. And, um, I don't know, guys. It kind of seems like Cade Cunningham is about to come back. Uh, what is everybody's thoughts? I'm in the exact opposite, Mike. And from the very beginning, I've just assumed we're not going to see Cade Cunningham again this season. And until I hear something concretely the other way, I'm just going to live in that world. So um, I'm kind of working under the assumption we don't. With that said, I'm still glued every night. I think, you know, watching Jaden Ivey play, watching Isaiah Stewart's transition to playing the perimeter offensively more, trying to figure out why Sadiq Bey can't make a three, but all of a sudden can attack the basket. <laughs> like I, I tweeted this out last night, guys. Who thought that we would live in a Pistons world where Sadiq Bey can't make a three, but can get to the rim and Killian Hayes can't get to the rim, but makes every three he takes. Like this is just a fascinating change and turn of events. So I'm still having a blast as a Pistons fan, watching him every night. Um, I'm not super encouraged about what's going to come from Cade Cunningham in terms of this season. Uh, The only reason I say that is because he, you know, they're, they're on the road right now and he's traveling with them, Yeah, which is, which is, which is odd for a player who's injured. Usually they would stay back. And he's been working. He's been working. You know, he got shots up today. He was doing jump rope the other day. Like he's been working this whole time. And it kind of makes me feel like maybe when they get back off the road trip, they might give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I I was just going to say, I don't like, I don't want him to play this game though. Like I just want him to like, if it needs three months of rest, give him three months of rest. If it needs the surgery, have the surgery and bring him back fully healthy whenever that is, whether it's the end of the season, next season, whatever it is. Maybe they need to, maybe they were going to try a little bit of rest and then see if it flares back up again. But I feel like we've already played that game. So, like, I just want them to completely play the long game. Yeah. I, I as I recall, when they first started reporting this, uh, it was said that he had this issue going back to last season. And I'm yeah. thinking, well, you had plenty of time during the offseason. So, I, I don't know if taking a few weeks off is enough to fix it unless he was just playing nonstop between last season and this season. If that's the case, then I, then this might actually help. Uh, but yeah, it is kind of weird, even though looking into it, 
This type of uh, injury issue doesn't always require surgery. Sometimes it just requires rest. And then I, I, I think it has something to do with, I, again, I'm not a doctor or anything close to it, but it has something to do with um, like how, how you're running your, your gait necessarily. Like it, it could be a technical thing where if, if K just fixes the way he runs, uh, this issue could get solved. Uh, but yeah, I, I am kind of on the, I, I'm I'm almost on the side with Mike, even though I don't want to be, because I'm like you, I would rather be cautious. But the fact that he's still traveling with the team, he's still trying to get shots up, I, it makes me think that he's going to give it another shot at some point. It might not be soon, it might be a month from now, it might be January or the All-Star break, but I think he might give it a shot. Um, I don't know if I want him to. But that's just me being overly cautious, especially since this is also, if we're being honest, play from a from a playoff standpoint, this is a lost season, right? So, yeah, him coming back, you you want him to get the reps, especially with with the big changes the the other young players that, as you said, are are undergoing. I would like to see him how he adapts to that because I think that would be fascinating. But I don't think that's worth risking his health, uh, his long term health, if 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 it comes to that. Uh, my, my only note from this past uh, week, and by the way, it, since we had our last show, uh, the, the Pistons have, <laughs> they've, they've been on the roller coaster. Uh, huge overtime win against Dallas, and Dallas is on fire right now. We're like the, the Killian Hayes game, as we're all going to remember this, and I, I have saved this game for posterity. Uh, that That is an absolute game that's going into my vault uh just seeing Killian Hayes grow uh grow up in front of our eyes man that was that was an experience and I'll tell you what getting absolutely trashed by the Memphis Grizzlies was also an experience one that I'm never going to want to relive and then going uh last night uh going to Miami winning by 20 man I just this is what you're what we kind of expected I think before the season started you know, it was mostly downs for us. We were expecting ups and downs. And this is more of along the lines of what I think fans expected uh, with this super young team. And I, I want to give a shout out. And I know he's one of your favorite uh, uh, players to look at, too. Isaiah Stewart, who, who I have been pushing since the very first day I saw him play. And I wasn't huge on him as a as a prospect. But even as a rookie, like you could see like his his feel for the game was was special. And what I didn't realize was offensively. uh I thought he would develop as an outside shooter. Just I thought his role as a stretch four, at least for year one, would be just just hit enough threes to make make the defense respect you, so your your other teammates can play four on four and you're in the corner. Uh, that's not how it's turned out at all. Not only is he hitting threes, he's he's pump faking, taking guys off the dribble, making passes to cutters. My God, uh, I had so much fun. Even though he only had eleven points last night, I had so much fun watching Isaiah Stewart. Just, just the the amount of growth that he's shown uh, at 21 years old, I, I can't say enough about the guy. I, I just, I, I think he gets overlooked uh, by fans because of you know the high usage guys, um, Sadiq's uh, struggles and his improvements, uh, Killian Hayes even because he's a guy that handles the ball a lot. Stewart is is a guy that just he comes in, he does the dirty work. I think he's one of the most intelligent players on the team, if not the most intelligent. Uh, uh, and I, I think he's going forward. I think he's going to be, he might even be the second most important player on the team next to Cade five years from now. And I'm, I'm including Jaden Ivy in that. 
I think I've said a few weeks ago on the Pistons Pulse, I think he's the soul of this Pistons team. Yep. Like if Cade is the the heartbeat or, you know, however you want to do it. But like, I think when you watch Isaiah Stewart play and how he has now this season, he'll get after guys. He's vocal. He's demonstrative. Like, I just think he's the soul of this team. I think he's the energy of this team. And I get to be around, quote unquote, the team whenever I get credentialed. And you can tell by the way people interact with him, members of the organization, they hold him in very high regard. And I'm not saying they don't hold other players, but you can just tell there's a few members of the organization. And I'm not talking like Troy Weaver. I'm just saying like the support staff and stuff like that, that like he holds a special place with them. And I think stuff like that matters within an organization and so I'm with you. While a lot of people seem to want to trade him off at times, I think Isaiah Stewart more than just about anybody, probably Kay, Jaden, and, and Jalen Duran for right now, um, is a, a core piece of what Troy Weaver and this organization wants to build. Yeah, and I, I know we're, we're close to being out of time, but um, yeah, I just, and I say this a lot, but uh, Isaiah Stewart, and I want to say this for emphasis, uh, he is the type of player that you win championships with. Maybe not because of, but you win championships with players like that. Uh, if I had to put odds on any of the players on this current Pistons team uh, starting on a team that plays in the NBA Finals, Isaiah Stewart would be number one. It may not be uh, here. It may be somewhere else. I don't know. But he he is the guy that fits best into the, into a starting lineup of a championship caliber team at least for right now. Well, thank you uh, very much, Bryce, for joining us today and, uh, and, and taking time out of your, your, I know you're a very busy guy and um, with coaching and the, the, everything you do with the Pistons and stuff. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you everybody for listening today. We've got another big episode coming up next week. We're going to be doing something different. Our first movie uh, next week, we're going to be covering blue chips and I cannot wait. Oh, can you come back? No, I'm, I'm joking. I, I mean, I, really, I love that movie. Like, that's one of my yeah. favorite movies. That's an incredible movie. That'll be fun. It's it's yeah. a really interesting movie that has has not aged like in terms no. of the story has not aged well. It's, it's almost it's become so more light, right? Like, it's almost become more the here and now. Yeah. yeah. And the, uh, like I, the villain, in, the villain in this movie is actually like the the good guy. If we're talking, yeah. if we're looking at it in, in our current lens. I very much look forward to uh, to talking about that one, and uh, we will see you guys next week on Bad Boys and Beyond.